Welcome to the Point of Care podcast. Today's topic is loss of consciousness and syncope. So as an introduction, syncope is defined as transient, meaning short duration, self-limited loss of consciousness with complete spontaneous recovery and is associated with loss of postural tone and is due to cerebral hypoperfusion, aka hypotension, should be abrupt and brief. A diagnosis of syncope excludes hypoglycemia, hypoxia, and intoxication as other causes, as well as things like neurological causes, such as a stroke or a seizure. Concerning features of syncope that warrant workup and admission, mostly to investigate a cardiac etiology, include palpitations, no prodrome before the syncope, exertional syncope, an abnormal EKG or a newly abnormal EKG, loss of consciousness when lying supine, or a known underlying heart disease. The most common causes of syncope are reflex, which are caused by 60%, which includes vasovagal and situational syncope, then orthostatic syncope, which is 15%, and that can be caused by meds and autonomic failure, and then lastly, cardiac syncope, which also accounts for 15%, which is overall the most concerning etiology. So let's say you hear that you're going to be getting a patient with syncope from the ED. The first thing is chart check. Look for prior admissions, prior EKGs, prior echoes, and whether or not they have a history of heart disease or if they've had seizures or clotting before. Things that need to think about that they need to be admitted are red flags, new EKG that's showing non-sinus, dyspnea, anemia, and hypotension, as well as a history of heart failure. The things that you do on a thorough HPI we'll go over in a minute, but the things you can't miss and should be thinking about all the time are PE, arrhythmia, aortic stenosis, seizure, stroke TIA, and hemorrhage. Whenever you're putting in admission orders, before even seeing the patient, everyone's going to get a CBC, a BMP, a troponin, an NT proBNP or a BNP, an EKG, and most likely telemetry. Once you see them, you should be asking yourself whether or not you've gotten orthostatic, so we'll go over that in a bit. And you should also be thinking about those red flags and whether or not this patient needs an echo, a CTPE, or a CT head. And almost everyone's going to get some fluid at some point as long as they can take it. When you're actually seeing the patient, the intake is going to be the following. Hopefully, there'll be someone who've witnessed the syncope, in which case you can ask that person, what was the manner of their collapse? How long were they down for? And they, did they exhibit any rhythmic movements? Furthermore, what were the inciting events? Was it after prolonged standing? Was it after the patient stood up? Were there any particular stressors that were going on? Was the patient in pain? Have they had poor PO intake? Or were they in hot weather? Moreover, you ask about a prodrome. Before the syncope, were they dizzy? Did they notice any nausea? Have they had abdominal pain, or did they note any warmth or flushing? Associated symptoms you can ask about include tongue laceration, and where on the tongue the laceration is from biting, loss of urine or stool, whether the patient had palpitations, chest pain, or shortness of breath, which would all be worrying. You can ask about the recovery time, and this includes whether or not the person came to right away, or that they had some postictal state, including confusion, where it took them a while to get back to normal and whether or not they had any nausea and vomiting associated with it. Also asking whether or not they stripped their head, looking for any lumps and bumps on their scalp, asking them if their head hurts, and specifically if they had a lucid interval after waking up. For intoxication, ask them about, were they drinking alcohol? Do they use benzos? Or are they prescribed any opioids or using any narcotics? Other medications you can ask them about, besides opioids and benzos that are prescribed, include tricyclic antidepressants, hypnotics, anticholinergics, and any blood thinners. Things to be aware of looking in the chart, but also asking them in case it doesn't, is whether or not they've ever had a seizure, if they have diabetes, 
coronary artery disease, congestive heart failure, any known valvular disease, prior arrhythmias, and do they have any PE risk factors, notably malignancies, asymmetric leg swelling, things like that. Things that are red flags in general include palpitations, chest pain, shortness of breath, whether or not it was exertional, again, if they were lying supine and they did not have a prodrome. Make sure you ask about those things, and that should raise suspicion for cardiac syncope. Once you've started to collect all this information and starting to get back some of your labs, you can start to form your assessment overall. And overall, you can incorporate the history that you got. Notably, things that we discussed include whether or not they had any head trauma beforehand, whether you think they might be hypovolemic and have poor PO intake, whether they had any GI losses for any particular reason, if they have a family history of any sudden cardiac death, the com comorbidities you've looked up in the chart and asked them about, and whether they have any contributing meds. Clinically, the things that are important to think about when you're making an assessment is the prodrome and whether or not they had an aura, including dizziness, nausea, warmth, or sweating, whether it was exertional, if they had any tongue biting, if they were incontinent, and if they had any postictal state. On exam, things to be very particular about include orthostasis, which we'll talk about, whether or not they're tachycardic, their general appearance, sick, not sick, their volume assessment to assess whether they're dehydrated, whether they have an abnormal rhythm, do they have any murmurs on your cardiac exam, an S3, crackles to suggest overload, low extremity edema, and any focal neurodeficits. Data that you can start to incorporate into your assessment is a hemoglobin, are they anemic, potentially losing blood, troponin, or an anti-proBNP to suggest cardiac etiologies, a urine drug screen, if you're concerned, an EKG to look for any underlying obvious arrhythmia, and you can also consider an echo if you're worried about this being cardiac. In terms of the etiology and differential diagnosis, the most common thing being reflex syncope, which includes vasovagal and situational. There's orthostasis, which we talked about, include autonomic failure and medications. There's volume loss, which can be due to decreased PO intake, GI losses, or hemorrhage, as well as cardiac, which is probably the most concerning, including aortic stenosis, pulmonary embolism, arrhythmia, or an AV block. Things to also be thinking about include neurological etiologies like seizures, strokes, or TIAs, intoxications, a mechanical fall, hypoglycemia, hypoxia, and a psychiatric etiology. If you think that it is syncope itself, the way that you can think through the syncope framework is the cause of syncope. There's two reasons that you can syncopize. The first is due to decreased resistance, SVR, or decreased cardiac output. For the decreased resistance, you can think of reflex and orthostasis causing both of those. So reflex syncope causes increased parasympathetic tone, and orthostasis decreases your sympathetic tone. So for reflex, that includes vasovagal and situational. Vasovagal can be turned on pretty much whenever your vagus nerve is being overactive, and that can be if you see blood, if you're under an extraordinary amount of stress, or if you're you know, running in the heat. Situational syncope similarly is probably activated by the fact that you know, your vagus nerve is in overdrive, and that could be set off by things like peeing, defecating, sneezing, or coughing. For orthostasis, something that decreases your sympathetic tone, that can be due to primary autonomic failure, which includes things like Parkinson's disease, Lewy body disease, or shy dragger, as well as amyloid and B12 deficiency. Secondary autonomic failure is most commonly caused by diabetes, and that's almost always going to be the reason when you have people that have really bad um, sympathetic tone. Medications that you should be on the lookout for include diuretics, which decrease your volume, of course, whether you're taking vasodilators, beta blockers, or alpha blockers for things like BPH. Things that decrease your cardiac output, this is really where cardiac syncope comes in, because if you have a structural abnormality like aortic stenosis, pulmonary hypertension, a PE, or tamponade that's causing some sort of a shock, 
it's going to decrease your cardiac output, and that could be a reason why you syncopize. Arrhythmias, like tachyarrhythmias or AV block, obviously can also lead to decreased cardiac output um, just by the fact that you're not having enough stroke volume. And then lastly, reasons you can have decreased cardiac output is part of just whether or not you're dehydrated and you have low intravascular volume. And that can be due to, like we talked about, decreased PO intake, GI losses, or hemorrhage. When you're thinking about your plan, obviously there's, we'll separate it into workup and treatment. When it comes to workup, the first and foremost, you should be doing orthostatics. And that's a change of greater than 20 over 10, or greater than 20 systolics over 10 diastolics. And we'll talk about that more later. Labs, again, something that everybody should get includes troponins, NT, pro BNP. And things you should be thinking about is a urine drug screen. If they're very obviously orthostatic, or you're worried about autonomic dysfunction, you can get an A1C, an SPEP, an RPR, and a B12. Imaging that everyone should get include EKG, telemetry, and you could be considering an echo or stress test if you're worried that there's an underlying cardiac etiology that hasn't been diagnosed. You should get an EEG if you're worried about a seizure, and you should get a CT head if anybody has a head strike, if they use blood thinners, or you notice a focal deficit on their exam, in which case you should probably be thinking about calling a stroke alert and getting much more advanced imaging. You can also consider a CTPE if you're not sure what else is going on, if the workup thus far is unremarkable, and it's a first syncopal event. Although the previous literature that suggests uh, that it's a high likelihood of being a PE if it's their first syncopal event is probably not as strong as we'd think, which we'll go over in a bit. If you're concerned for an arrhythmia, but you don't actually pick it up on the inpatient side, there's a lot of opportunities for doing outpatient ambulatory monitoring, which is also something we'll talk about in a bit. And then if you're concerned genuinely for autonomic failure and unable to improve their orthostasis with fluids and you know lifestyle changes, then this tilt table is also something that can be considered in the outpatient setting. In terms of treatment, Initially, a big way you're going to be treating these patients is fluid and lifestyle changes. Um, so noting certainly how much you've already given and how much you think you need to give them. If it's a reflex syncope, things you need to be thinking about are avoiding provocative stimuli. You can trial counterpressure maneuvers, which include leg crossing, hand grip, and valsalva, especially before standing up. And we can link off to a, a good document that explains different counterpressure maneuvers. If you have orthostasis, you treat the underlying etiology. You replete their volume, and you give them lifestyle counseling, such as slow rising, waist-high compression stockings, abdominal binders, increasing their salt intake, discontinuing any contributing meds. And if that doesn't work, you can start to think about things like medicines. And this can include minadrin, which is usually taken at max uh, 10 to 20 milligrams three times daily during your waking hours, and when you're not lying down or standing upright. And then you can also consider Flugicort, and then lastly, Droxidopa, which is a medicine that's rarely given just because it's so expensive right now and is rarely covered. And obviously, if you have cardiac etiology of syncope, then that's something you have to address, and you have to address the underlying etiology. So let's talk about some pearls. So for vasovagal syncope, it's stimulation of the vagal nerve that leads to bradycardia and vasodilation, which obviously drop your cardiac output and blood pressure. This is something that has to be triggered. And there's a few things in your HPI that have very high likelihood ratios for being vasovagal syncope. These include prolonged standing, which has a 9 likelihood ratio, abdominal discomfort, which has an 8 likelihood ratio, and whether or not it happens during getting injections or cannulation, which has a 7 likelihood ratio. So if any of those things are happening in, or you find out any of those things in the HPI, you should be thinking about whether or not this might have been vasovagal. Orthostasis is defined as a drop in systolic blood pressure of 20 millimeters of mercury or diastolic 10 millimeters of mercury within three minutes of standing from lying down. Now, there's a lot of different ways that people actually define orthostasis, and it's important that you're being very clear on how you're defining it and you know whether or not they were lying down and going to sitting or sitting to standing, whatever it was. But in general, I think that the best way to do it is to go right from lying to standing 
do a blood pressure immediately, and then do a blood pressure three minutes after. Because what you're trying to do is actually simulate what is it going to be like? When are people most likely to have accidents and falls from uh, being orthostatic? And that's elderly patients who wake up in the middle of the night to urinate or something like that, and they go right from lying down to standing up. And we have to know, you know, within, you know, right away and then within a few minutes whether or not they're going to become orthostatic because that's when they can fall and get really hurt. Um, orthostasis can be caused by autonomic failure, and as we talked about earlier, the differential for that can be Parkinson's, um, some of those Parkinson's plus diseases, uh, B12 deficiency, amyloid, and diabetes, probably being the most common culprit. The medicines that we talked about include the diuretics, vasodilators, beta blockers, and alpha blockers. And uh, if you do find out that they're orthostatic, if you diagnose them and you see that their blood pressure really does tank, um, it's usually a you know, satisfying thing to find out because you can realize that it's not life-threatening. But you still need to figure out why they're orthostatic, and it's not always the easiest thing to treat. And so um, don't celebrate just yet. You know, and, and then if it's not reflex or orthostatic syncope, and you've kind of ruled out all the other scary things, you kind of have to assume that it's cardiac. And this can be frustrating and challenging because you might not actually catch an arrhythmia while they're inpatient. And so you'll have to recommend and consider cardiac follow-up in order to have an ambulatory monitoring. And there's a lot of options for ambulatory monitoring to see if they have uh, an arrhythmia. Um, the first things that come to mind are Holter monitors and things like the Zaya patch. And those continuously record for usually 24 to 48 hours, but can be longer. And that's just continuously monitoring. But you also have to then assume that someone's going to have an actual event within that time period, which is also not guaranteed, especially if they've been on telemetry and been inpatient for an extended period of time. There's also event recorders that are only recording when the patient actually pushes the button when they experience symptoms like palpitations. So this is probably better for someone who's having palpitations, hasn't actually had syncopal events, but you're trying to wonder what is the underlying arrhythmia. So for someone who's syncopizing, event recorders might not be the best choice. A better choice might be something called a loop recorder, which records over long periods of time, but it's deleting the data as it goes because otherwise it's just gathering a bunch of noise. But then once a patient has a syncopal event, they wake up and push the button, and upon awakening, the device realizes, okay, they just had an event. Let's keep all the data leading up to that event for further analysis. Cardiac syncope in a young person, you should be thinking about looking for their EKGs for Wolf, Parkinson's, White, uh, large uh, left ventricle size, a long QT. When you're thinking about whether or not to, you know, whether somebody is going to have cardiac arrhythmia uh, in the inpatient setting, you can think of something called the Romeo score. And the things that this looks for is congestive heart failure, coronary artery disease, an abnormal EKG, an elevated troponin, and an elevated pro-BNP. If all of those are negative, you could probably not get an echo inpatient because a score of zero led to a 0.8% risk of a major finding as a cause of syncope. So if you don't have any criterion, it's, you know, the likelihood of it being a clinically significant echocardiographic finding if you were to get an echo is incredibly low. But it's important to remember that about 7% of people who come into the hospital with a syncopal event will get an echo, and then it leads to really high costs. 3% uh, of patients who get echoes in patients are actually found to have structural lesions, with less than 1% having new aortic stenosis. So in terms of trying to find aortic stenosis, you don't have to get an echo. You're almost certainly, if you have moderate to severe aortic stenosis, going to have a murmur. So you don't need to go getting an echo. Just listen. We'll link off to some other good resources that you can use in order to learn more about syncope. But a big one is the 2017 guidelines uh, from the American College of Cardiology. Um, there's a really great article we talked about a little bit earlier. People talk about PE being identified in 17.3% of hospital patients with the first episode of syncope. And that was a New England Journal of Medicine article that was published in 2016. 
Though it's important to know that this was including incidental findings, which include small PEs that were probably not the actual etiology of a syncope, as well as PEs that were probably chronic and so might not have actually been acute. And so the actual incidence of PE that's causing syncope, even if it's a first-time syncope, is probably a lot lower, but should definitely be on the differential in patients who fit your illness script. The other good uh, literature that you can go is the rational clinical exam to see does this patient have cardiac syncope. And that's where some of the information we shared earlier about what are the concerning features of syncope that are making it more likely to be cardiac in etiology, as well as the original paper that looked into the Romeo score and validated it. Other resources that are not literature include the Curbsiders episode 32, where they deconstruct syncope, which is excellent. The clinical problem solvers that has a good diagnostic schema for approaching syncope. And then the symptoms diagnosis, which both has a book and a podcast, and is something uh, in chapter 31. Most people have access to that book online for free, but you can also buy it on Amazon. To see the templates where we discuss these checklists, intake, assessment, and plans, go to pointofcaremedicine.com. There, you can also read about all the clinical pearls we discussed in this episode, as well as links to the trials and literature we discussed, as well as the other resources.